0: All right. Praise the Lord. All the time, God is good. Thank, thank the Lord. And um, with so many different things going on <clears throat> in all walks of our lives, uh, I'm going to just start by saying, start the message here by saying, how many of us here have a handbrake in your car? Okay, every hand should go up. Okay, the handbrake is that little thing that you pull up after you put it in park or or step down on, depending what what, what kind of car you have, you know. And that handbrake locks the car in and and it keeps it from backing down hills and and things like that. Okay, and how many of us here have tried to put the car in drive, in gear, and drive off with the handbrake on? Okay. Yeah, we've all everybody's here nodding and waving and so on like that. Okay, and you know what happens when you do that? The car just removes. It moves very sluggishly. You know, depending on how good that handbrake is. You know, if you if you do indeed take off at all, it, you know that something isn't right because the car is kind of dragging. And then finally, when you realize that the brake is on. Hopefully, you stop, or if not, even you, have, you can't stop, you just take the brake off. Then all of a sudden, you feel a release, and the car starts going slowly, or uh, more smoothly again. So, what we see happening there was a, a few things happened. You realized at some point that the handbrake was on. You recognized the fact that something needed to be done, and then you took an action. Okay? You released the handbrake. Okay? and again i say i point out that before you actually did something you recognized that there was something wrong you recognized there was a problem and you did something about it you had to take a positive action to release the handbrake and you had to make a conscious decision that you and you wanted to do something so in our spiritual lives as there are handbrakes in our physical lives there can be handbrakes in your spiritual life Handbrakes in your spiritual life can be slowing you down from getting to where you, you, where you want to go. A, handbrake, a spiritual handbrake, can be something that you may not realize is on because, you know, you feel this, the sluggishness of your life or of what is not or is happening, but yet still you haven't quite sure, you haven't surely recognized just what the problem is. So therefore you haven't recognized that something is slowing you down, so therefore you can't do anything about it. So the key to dealing with the, with, with the handbrakes is, is, number one, recognizing that there is a, is a problem. This goes to spiritually also, recognizing that there is a problem, a potential problem, wanting to do something about the spiritual handbrake, and then lastly, taking the action to do so. So today we're going to look at spiritual handbrakes. And as a Christian going through life, you will often run into times that... You may feel um, something is is not right. I don't know if many of you have gotten up during the course, during the day. You you, you get up in the morning, rather, and then something just doesn't feel right. You're not sure what it is. Me, my biggest thing was I checked my pockets. Do I have my wallet? I have my keys, and you know, and kind of late, you know, you're halfway to the office or whatever, but something just doesn't feel right. So that is recognizing right away that something is not right. But so many times in life, we ignore those feelings, okay? And I knew someone that drove with their handbrake on for some time because when they got to my house, I could smell rubber or what smelled like rubber. And I said, gee whiz, is your car okay and so forth? And they said, yeah, I think so. Matter of fact, now that you mentioned, I did feel kind of, a pulling or something and looked in the car sure enough the handbrake was on okay so there are times in life when our spiritual handbrakes can be on and we don't realize it or we're not paying enough attention and we just insist on going about life the way it's going We just keep on plugging, plugging ahead, plugging ahead, stepping on the gas, so to speak. Just moving on in the direction, even though you feel that something is wrong and something is holding you back. So the first thing you've got to do, as I said, is recognize it. Before we even get into all of this, this whole discussion, this whole word, this whole message I'm about to give, if you don't have faith, you might as well just leave right now. Don't even bother even staying and hearing it. Okay, because if you don't have faith, I mean mountain-moving faith, okay, then being aware of your handbrake is not going to help you. Your spiritual handbrake is not going to help you, okay? Just like if you are sitting in that car and you're driving along and you feel this thing that's pulling you back and you look down at the handbrake, you know, or you feel down and and the brake is applied, but if for some odd reason you didn't have faith, that releasing that handbrake was going to get your car to move smoothly, then you just kind of just keep on driving, doing more damage to your vehicle and not being able to accomplish successfully or easily where you want to go. Spiritually, it's the same thing. If you start feeling that the spiritual handbrake is there, but you just choose to ignore it, and just can just choose to keep moving ahead in life the way you're going. Just thinking, oh, well, you know, it'll get better. You know, once I get past 26 miles, all of a sudden it'll go away. You know, maybe you think the handbrake will burn out, and then it'll release your car to go, okay? But in the spirit realm, doing that, while you may damage your vehicle by not releasing the handbrake and just driving, God knows how long it would take for that to happen. I'm far from being an auto mechanic. But you know that eventually you're going to do some damage somewhere in your car. Well, so it is in your spiritual life, okay? But doing damage in your spiritual life and slowing yourself down can be far more harmful than doing damage to your physical vehicle, okay? So we need to have faith and know that releasing the physical handbrake in my car, first of all, is going to get my car driving correctly, but also having faith that once Holy Spirit has shown me what the spiritual handbrake is that's got me holding, holding, that's holding me back from accomplishing that which God wants me to accomplish, the things that you're praying for, and you're wondering why these things are not materializing, you're just wondering why you're feeling miserable all of the time, and, 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 and yes, though, and Holy Spirit may be showing you where that handbrake is, but if you don't have faith that removing that handbrake or releasing that spiritual handbrake is going to help you, then it's not going to help you. Amen? So it all starts with faith. Let's go to Hebrews 11.6. Faith is very, very important to God. Hebrews 11 And uh, Hebrews 11 I want to focus on Just Well we can start at one But I want to really focus on verse 6 uh, Hebrews 11 one. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for The evidence of things not seen For by it the elders obtained a good report through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Okay? So understanding that dynamic truth, that powerful truth is very important to us also. Now faith, we underline the word now, is indicating immediate faith. Faith now. Not saying that I'll start having faith tomorrow, I'll start having faith next week, I'll start having faith next month. Faith, now faith is, is, is constant, it's continuous faith. It's the very substance of the things that we hope for. So in other words, the things that you're hoping for and praying for, if you don't have faith, then, then you're missing the very substance, you know. You can't bake a cake without using flour. So if you're hoping to bake a cake without putting flour in it, I mean that's the substance of the cake, it just won't happen, okay, I, I think, <laughs> I'm not a cook, okay, so, so you, but you see the point I'm making. So now faith is the very essence of the things that you're hoping for. And then in verse number three it says that through faith we understand that God created the worlds, okay, the worlds were formed and created by God, so the things that are seen were made of things that, which do not appear. So in other words, God took nothing and created something from nothingness. So If you can believe that and have faith, knowing that that's how powerful God is, that God created something out of nothing, that there's a powerful unseen world out there, then and and that's kind of where our faith resides. Faith does not reside in all all the time the things that we can see, touch, and smell. Amen. So we say, and then we continue here. It goes on to say, um, by faith, verse four. By faith, uh, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, uh, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. by testifying of his gifts, and by, and by it the being dead yet, yet speaketh. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found, because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now, uh, now highlight all of verse number 6. Without faith it is impossible to please him. Okay? Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For He that comes to God must believe that He is. Okay, he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him, underline diligently seek him. Okay, so we see that right away it says that without having faith it's impossible to please God. You cannot be pleasing God if you're not having, having any faith in him. Okay, so that is, it's a done deed, it just stops right there. If you don't have faith in God, then, then you're not going to be pleasing to him. It also says there that he that comes to God must believe that he is. Now... You have an issue that's going on in your life There's something that you're praying for And you run to God in prayer Or at night you kneel by your bedside and you're praying to God Or during the day when you're at work there's something going on and you're praying But if you think that God is some theoretical, philosophical God He's an equation, you know He's this unseen thing that's out there that's not going to cut it. You're not going to have faith in, 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 a, in a God that is theoretical. You have to believe that he is. Okay? All right? For he that comes to God must believe that he is. In other words, believing that he is indeed God. All right? And if you believe that he is indeed God, then you must know that nothing is impossible for him. And he can certainly help you with the situation that you have. He can help you with this handbrake. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Diligently means that just not a casual seeking God. It means you're putting some effort in seeking in seeking God. All right, So faith is, faith is important. As you use God's uh, word daily, you are taking God at his word. Many times answers to prayer do not come because God will not violate his word word. Faith is a necessary ingredient. If you are not seeing results to whatever it is that you're hoping for and praying for, either you have not persevered, you haven't hung in there long enough, you haven't just, just said, I'm not going to give up um, long enough, or there is a handbrake that is still on. Alright? If there's something that you're praying for and you're hoping for and it just hasn't materialized, either you haven't persevered, you haven't hung in there long enough, or there may be something in your life that's holding you back still. Okay? So we need to to really consider that. Go to Isaiah 55. Thank you, Jesus. Okay? Isaiah fifty-five. Okay, and um, and go to let's go to verse number number eight. Fifty-five, verse Isaiah 55 verse 8 For my thoughts are not your thoughts Neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord For as the heavens are higher than the earth So are my ways higher than your ways And my thoughts than your thoughts For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but waters the earth, and makes it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. Underline that. It shall not return unto me void. But it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the things with it, where to? I sent it? Okay? So first of all, in verse number 8, it says there, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. The thing that you're praying for and you're hoping for, and maybe this handbrake could be in your life, you know, whatever you're praying for, and you're not understanding why God is, is, is letting things happen or permit, permitting things happen the way they are, His thoughts and His reasoning are not yours. I mean, you, you, no way can you match the way that God thinks. So you have to have the faith just knowing that the things that I'm praying for in my life and this handbrake that may be there that the Lord is going to reveal to me that he will reveal to me what that spiritual handbrake could be and this thing that I'm praying for will indeed come to pass or whatever it is, it w- it is that he wishes will come to pass in my life which will be far better even than anything that you could wish for. Amen? If God does not give you something in life, okay, as I've said a million times, God may not always give you what, what, you, uh, what you want okay but he will certainly give you what you need because he knows your needs far better than you. Amen? But the way he thinks through that process is not the way you think through the process. So simply because something is not happening in your life that you're, you're praying for, don't think that God has abandoned you or that he doesn't hear, you, hear, you, you, you hear what you're saying or doesn't recognize your need. But God's way of solving the problem is far different from yours. Okay? And then also it says that his word does not return to him void. It, it cannot. In other words, God promised you, God made, oh gosh, there's a book written that has the number of promises that's in the Bible, a huge number of promises, and you can buy them, okay? And I mean, there are so many promises there that God has made you, and, and those promises are not going to return to God void. He, if God said that He's going to bless you and prosper you, then that's going to happen. Okay? God's intentions, God's will is for you to be blessed and is for you to prosper. It's just that the things that we do, the, the decisions that we make in life many times slow that down and can hinder it. God's word is not going to return to him void. I mean, unless you just totally turn your back on the Lord and denounce Jesus and so forth like that, God's will for your life can indeed come to pass. And and it's got to be a good thing because God does not wish ill, ill, anything bad or ill for his children. Okay, you're one of his children, therefore you are an heir to everything that God has. Okay, alrighty? If you have a loved one in your family that has a whole lot of money and bank account and everything, and you're in their will, when that person passes on, you're going to benefit from that, that money and properties and everything else. Well, you are an heir to God. You're, you're, you're one of, of God's children. And his will for you will not be changed. It, it cannot change. And what God has set forth, he said, it will indeed um, come to pass. All right? So, so one of the things that we see here, what this is, is talking about, is a big handbrake that's in many Christians' life, and it's a handbrake called doubt. It's a handbrake called doubt. All right? We theoretically understand God... We can stand up and sit down and lay down and quote scriptures from the beginning to the end. We can talk like we know what we're saying. You know, you you, you can quote scriptures left and right. But deep down inside, that Holy Spirit revelation where God is talking to you about things, making you understand clearly what his word is saying. If there's doubt that's in your mind, you will never come to understand and know God's Word. Okay? Ready? And I see that in so many Christians, Christians' lives because if there was less doubt in some Christians' minds, they wouldn't be behaving the way they're behaving. Okay? They wouldn't be doing the things that they're doing. They would, not, they, would, they, wouldn't be, they, they would not be doing some of the things that they do, and they would be doing more of the things that they should do. Okay? But yet still they can quote Scripture eloquently. All right? But you look at their lives, how they live in their lives, okay? So that tells me then that even there, there it must be some doubt there that's in their life, lives because they don't understand that the Word of God is exactly what it says. No more, no less. God's Word is very precise in what it says and what it means. So if you're going forward in life and there's a spiritual handbrake that is on and there's something going on and you're praying for this... For some help and you you need some answers, don't have any doubt, first of all, that God is going to answer that prayer. Don't have any doubt that God's going to make a way for you to get out of the situation that you're in and to get to a better place in life. Once you have that doubt, it just cancels out the whole thing. We just read the scripture, it's impossible to please God without faith. Alright, so how do you think you're going to have God acting on your behalf and you're going to see things materialize, you know, if, if you're doubting Him, okay, and not having, not having any faith. We go to Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65, verse Okay, go to 65, verse 24. Okay. And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. Please underline or highlight all of verse 24. God knows what your issue is. God knows what you're struggling with. God knows what handbrake, spiritual handbrake in your life could be holding you back. So therefore, here you are praying to God and he knows. He knows before you get the words fully out of your mouth. He knows exactly what it is that you're praying for. Okay? And God says that yet while they are speaking, you know, I will hear. So as you are praying to God he knows exactly what it is that you're praying for he knows what the issue is, you see. But so you've got to believe that and understand that you are not, you are not in this thing by yourself. You're, you're not alone, you see. But, but if you are forgetting and if you're thinking that you've got to shout, or shout to you to the top of the rooftops and scream and stand on one foot and turn in circles and everything, light 25 candles, you've got to do all of that to get God's attention, Um, then, then you're so wrong, you know, you know, you know you're laboring under, under false uh, assumptions. God knows what you're praying for. God knows what the issues are in your life. So you've got to have that faith and you've got to release any doubt that's in your mind because that doubt is a huge spiritual handbrake that, you, that you, uh, can hold you back. The other, the other part of that doubt handbrake is, is not understanding that God's time and His way of answering may not be in the same time frame that you're hoping for. Okay? You see? And then then you're wondering, well, how would this handbrake be hindering the rest of, of, of my life. Because as you're driving through life, so to speak, and you're spiritually, you, you've got your clock, you've, you've put it into your iPad or into your iPhone and in your calendar when this prayer should be answered and you hear you're sitting waiting for God to answer this prayer by May 31st at 10 a.m. in the morning, and you're sitting there, well, you're like blowing into the wind because it's not going to be on God's time. You see? So then all of a sudden, if that doesn't happen, then all of a sudden you get all shaken up. And then many, many times what happens is that I've seen Christians actually stop praying. They will stop praying to God. Oh, gee, was I wanted this by May 30th at 12 a.m., and it didn't happen at 12 a.m., so what's the sense? What's the use? You see? So here you go with that spirit of doubt that is just creeping into your life. But like the handbrake, the car handbrake, yet still they continue to drive along. They continue to just drive along. And here they haven't released that handbrake, They haven't gotten rid of that handbrake, and they're wondering why their life is not moving smoothly. You see? Because it's merely because of the fact that you are refusing to trust God and have faith in Him, and that you're letting this doubt just creep on in there. Just creep on in there, you know. There's a kind of a, a story that talks about a, a, a guy that walks into the devil's workshop. And he's got all these tools on the wall um, that's up there, for, up there for sale and so on like that. And he's got a, a, a fear and, and, and so on so on like that. And then he's got this wedge-shaped thing. And uh, the guy says, oh, gee, can I buy that tool up there? You know, with the, wedge, the wedge-shaped one. And, and he says to the devil, what is that tool? And the devil says, that's the wedge of doubt. How much is it? The devil says, I'm not selling that. I'm keeping it. Because that is my best tool. Okay? So that wedge of doubt is used by the devil to drive to come between you and God. Come between you and God. You let doubt creep into your life. And just like a wedge, you put a wedge in there and you just hammer and hammer and hammer. And then all of a sudden it separates and separates and separates, you see. So as you're going through life and that wedge of doubt is just driving in more and more, then that handbrake does not get released. Yes, though, you're trying to go about your spiritual business. You're trying to go through life spiritually. And you're just not, um, you're just not making any progress and you're wondering why. All right. So you have to make sure that that handbrake is not in there. On uh, we'll doubt, just a little bit more. Let's go to the book of James. The book of James. James one. Okay, and let's see. James 1, we'll start at 1 James 1, 1 James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ To the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad Greeting My brethren, count it all joy When you fall into diverse temptations Knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience Let patience have her perfect work That you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Okay? If you lack wisdom, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally and upbraids not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavers is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Okay? You see, so there it is again about, about the doubt. If you're the kind of person that all of a sudden, you know, you feel like things are going great and things are tooling along, then all of a sudden something pops up that quote-unquote hinders your day or hinders your life. Then right away you start changing your mind and you start saying, oh, well, gee, well, that that wasn't of God, or, or that, that, couldn't have been, that couldn't have been of God. You know, oh, gee, I, I don't know if that's going to work. Okay, and then you go to sleep and you wake up the next day. Oh, I got supernatural faith. I know that's going to work. I know that's going to work. The slight bit of challenge comes at you again, and all of a sudden you, you, you're downtrodden. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Gee, what did I do wrong? What did...? That's a double-minded man. One day up, one minute down. One minute has faith, the next minute doesn't have faith. All right? okay. And that's where the devil really, really gets in there. You see, Because the devil knows with a person like that, he can just back off for a little bit and let things in your life kind of just leave you alone. Okay, And as a Christian, I'm telling you, there's always a sight that's on your back. The devil wants to silence you. The devil wants you to be miserable. doesn't want you to be happy. The devil doesn't want you to have faith in God. So every, You know, things are kind of going well. Then all of a sudden one of the trials and tribulations that Jesus said you will have as a Christian pops up. Then all of a sudden you get down and you get dejected and you don't want to get out of bed. Oh boy, this is a terrible day. Things are going so wrong. But what happened to a few hours ago? What happened to yesterday when you were feeling so up? Okay? That's a double-minded man. And and it, the Lord, the word of God, says that man is unstable in all his ways. He says, verse number six, Let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavers is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. Amen? So one of the handbrakes, spiritual handbrake, could be in your life that you're just not keeping your faith. You know, you're not keeping your faith. Here you are driving along and your your spiritual life is moving so sluggishly, you know, but you don't realize, you're just too busy to realize, well, gee, my problem might be that I'm not consistent in my faith. Okay? God is consistent. The Word of God says He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Ask yourself, are you that consistent in trusting God? Are you that consistent in having faith? But when a challenge comes into your life, when someone says something to you and you receive a letter, you receive a phone call, something you see on Facebook, you get an email, a text message or whatever, then all of a sudden your whole attitude changes and you start getting upset and you start getting worried and all of this, then, then you're not being very consistent. Okay? You know, I don't care what anyone would say about me, I could give two fruit loops about what somebody says about me, all right? I am consistent in knowing that I am a child of God, and I don't care if today has a challenging spot in it, if there's something, my car breaks down or whatever. God hasn't changed, so therefore I haven't changed, all right? And I'm not going to let a spiritual handbrake develop, you know, by and me, you you know, getting all downtrodden and, oh gosh, and giving up hope and all of this stuff, because I know that God will get me through this, okay? It's not what I see. My ways are not God's ways. All I know is that God knows what's happening. God knows what's happening, so therefore He's going to get me out of this mess. You see? But the person that's double minded, you know, and flipping and flopping, not having true faith, Someone says something to them, or they read something about them, or they see a text, or they hear this, or someone calls them on the phone, then they get all downtrodden and shaken up, or either get mad at the prayer, oh boy, I'll fix them, and then fire back with a, you know, a text just as doubly bad or something nasty, you know. As a child of God, you should be able to be so cool, calm, and collected. Amen. Doesn't mean that there's something that, that won't come into your life, you know, that'll get you upset. But it should be a momentary thing. You know, we're still, we're all human beings. I'm not saying there's nothing in life that doesn't come at me that I don't say, what? Okay, it all happens, but the difference between us and non-Christians or unbelievers are that the person that says, what? That what goes on for six months. What? You know, they stay in a constant state of turmoil because they don't know how to deal with the problem. You know, you see them, you, you, it, some people I used to avoid. I hate to see them. Every single day is a miserable day. You know, and we've, we've all known people like that. Every single day is a miserable day, and they you got always something to complain about, all right? Something comes into your life that's miserable. We, as a child of God, we, you have that initial reaction because you're human. You're still a human being. That initial reaction, but then you know you should recover right away, and you get into prayer. You get into prayer. Having children, you always have those kind of moments. <laughs> And the older they get, doesn't go away necessarily. <laughs> God bless them. God bless them. Amen. Amen. But you hear something that goes on, you know, or, oh, Dad, you know, or whatever. And what? And you get that initial thing. But then the first thing you do is you grab your hand and, you know, Tanya and I are raising the kids and having boys and so forth. You know, what? First thing Tanya and I would do is grant, let's pray. Because thing you do is you pray. Okay? And then, God will come in and just take care of the whole thing. Amen? You see, but to the person that is a non-believer, that frustration, the fears, the worries, it just grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. You see? Now, for a child of God, that can really be a spiritual handbrake. Because if you don't know how to navigate through a problem that pops up unexpectedly, that's just as bad as you driving that car of yours with the handbrake on. Because you're not going to go smoothly through life. You will not get through smoothly. You, know, you, won't even get to the, you won't even get through the first mile that's in your spiritual life. Because you won't see what's happening. You won't see what's happening. You, you're forgetting a very basic thing. Doubt and, and, and having faith in God. You see, you see? But the thing about it is that, the interesting thing about it is that, as I've thought and prayed about this for a long time. The interesting thing about it is that, you as a Christian, you don't even see it. You don't see it. You know, you're kind of just moving along and you're tooling along and these things are happening and you never stop to think, wait, I got to check this. What's going on here? Gee was yesterday so and so happened, today this happened. I mean, what's going on here? You know, we just in, in, insist on keeping the foot on the gas instead of realizing something's holding here. Something's rubbing against something that shouldn't be there. You know, you, you don't smell the spiritual the, the, the spiritual smoke that's burning. Okay, from the friction that's in your spiritual life, that friction is Holy Spirit in you and and, 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 and and God and the fight evil against you. You know that you're in. You, you, you're not aware of what's going on, so you just keep the, you keep your foot on on the gas of your spiritual life, not realizing that something is happening here. You see? You see? And, and, and we don't think about it. That's the problem. We don't think about it. Alright? So one of the first things, one of the first triggers is that, you know, is, is that if, if, if you have, if something touches you on your back, because of the way God designed us with our nervous system, we realize the touch the finger is there and you turn around and you look. Alright? It's an early warning system maybe that something is about to happen. Well, we have early warning systems in our spiritual lives too, in our spirits here. But, but many times we as Christians, we ignore them. We ignore them. Well, because of the fact that we don't have faith in God and we don't realize who God is and what this Christian construct is, spiritual contract, construct that we really live in, how it really operates, that we as Christians continue to keep the foot on the spiritual gas of our lives and try to keep going forward. And things are not happening. You're not moving smoothly, your spiritual life is still jerky, 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 you know? And how does that manifest itself? It manifests itself in financial problems, it manifests itself in relationships with people, it manifests itself with how you deal with family members, with friends, with coworkers. it manifests itself in so many ways, okay? All right, all right, all right. I, I had someone that worked for me one time, that every single position that she applied for, she just didn't get it. She didn't receive the position. And I knew it was happening, but you got to be careful how you counsel people and so on like that and what things you say to them. You know, until finally something came up and Holy Spirit made the opportunity. And I said, to, I said did you ever stop to come into my office and close the door? Did you ever stop to think that maybe over the last two and a half years that you haven't gotten any of these positions, there could be something about with how you're approaching them or how you're selling yourself or appearance? Okay, ready? There were hand handbrakes all over the place. Okay, but she didn't see him. She didn't see him. Alright? We are like that also as Christians. Because something, you you know, because you you, you walk outside and all of a sudden, you you know, you you realize you got on one brown shoe, one black shoe, which I've done. Okay, I've done. You know, and that's pretty obvious. But we go on through things in life and we don't for a minute realize that something is wrong. Okay? So while you don't know something is, something what exactly what is, again, with the physical handbrake, you know the car is just not operating right. So you know your spiritual life is just not operating right. Things that I'm praying for, or something that I'm doing, or everything that I try to do according to the word that I think is the right thing to do, I'm still not, something is still is not right. Lord, Holy Spirit, show me. What spiritual handbrake is there that's hindering me? Okay? Again, one of them is doubt. Lack of faith. Okay? Okay? Doubt and, and, and lack of faith. You see? Another one that could be a spiritual handbrake. Well, let's go. Do we do Hebrews? He, let's do Hebrews 3. Uh, Hebrews 3 real quick. Before I go to the next one. Hebrews chapter 3. We've got to see what the Word of God says about this. Not, not what I say. or Not something that I dream of. But what the Word of God says. Okay? Hebrews 3. And... Verse number 7 Hebrews 3 Verse number 7 Oh God is good Thank you Lord for opening our eyes Things that we take just so for granted And don't realize Hebrews 3 And we'll start with verse 7 Okay Okay Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation, in the wilderness. That's when the uh, that's when the Israelites um, just kept. Giving God such a hard time, so to speak. You know, one minute they'd be behaving themselves, the next minute they'd be sinning and ca- sinning and carrying on. Verse 9. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years, wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said, They do always err in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. Please in the line. They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest. Please, in the line, so I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, unless there be in any of you an evil heart of what? Unbelief. Please, in the line, heart of unbelief. In departing from the living God. In departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, Unless any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginnings of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Underline, hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke howbeit not all that came out of egypt by moses but with whom was he grieved 40 years was it not with them that had sinned whose carcasses fell in the wilderness and to whom swore he and to swore he that they uh, should not enter into his rest but to them that believed not so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief okay so there's a lot here about not being able to rest because of unbelief you see, and the provocation is that period of time that they, the, the scripture uses provocation. It's those 40 years that Israel was in the desert. And they kept going back and forth, going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. You know, they have a time of believing, and then they go back into sinning. They complained about not having food. God would provide food. They complain about something else. Okay, so again, it's that lack of faith. Okay, and so the lack of faith, and more specifically, the unbelief. So God is saying, without that, without that unbelief, or with unbelief, You cannot enter into God's rest. Now, God's rest is, of course, being at peace. Being, knowing that things are going well You know Knowing that, that, that are, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of cruising Because my life Is working the way The way God wants it to work You know Things are working really smoothly now, Does that mean that a trial Or a tribulation Will never come again? No it doesn't Because Jesus said That you will have them Alright But if you keep having that faith And the unbelief Even after you have that Tribulation Or that trial Pop up in your life Like I said before And you have that initial shock Oh my gosh What am I going to do? You jump back into into the Lord into the word into still trusting and keeping your faith maintaining your faith and believing okay you get that rest you get that rest okay and and I I don't I don't really know how to say it other than um, having been around for a number of years and, and, and having been in the Lord for a number of years and having challenges and whatnot. when you're going through a challenge it's not easy It can feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. Everything is a worry. You've got different parts of that challenge that's bothering you. You just can't figure out how it's going to happen. Okay? All I can say is in speaking for myself, the minute that you come to the realization that God is there, and you don't have the answers still, you don't know how A and B and C is going to fit together, You don't have the specific answer to the problem, but I just know that God is there, and I know that he knows what's happening. When you come to the point that you really believe that, all I can say is that there's a release, at least with me, there's a release of breath like that. You know, I can feel my shoulders go down, I can feel the relaxation come in. Do I have the answer? No. But the answer that I do have is that I know that God is there. Okay? I know that God knows what the situation is. And that wherever it goes, it's going to be okay. You see? That's when you enter into the rest that's being talked about here. Okay? You can't enter into that rest if you've got unbelief. It's just impossible. It's impossible. Because if you don't believe, okay? Alright? You know, here you are... I don't know, I don't know why a toll bridge comes to mind and things like that, but you're driving towards a toll bridge and it's $10 to get through that toll bridge and you don't have that toll, that $10 and you're, you're hustling and you're, gee, how am I going to get through that toll? How am I going to pay that toll? And as you get closer and closer, the, you know, your heart rate increases and you start getting really, really nervous. Okay, that's not restful. You know, you start digging through the little cubby hole next to your car. James, I got ten thousand quarters here. There's a dime. There's a nickel, you know. Okay, that's not at rest. That's not at rest. Okay. Rest is when you're approaching that booth and you know, God, I got to get through this toll. You don't know how. You got three pennies laying in your little cubby hole next to your, your gear shift there. I don't know how. But you get a rest. Your peace. And when you get there, you go through. However God may choose to do it, <laughs> okay? But the point I'm making is that the things that are in your life, if you're at the point where you're really in knots inside about what, what is how are things going to happen, how are things going to work, then that's a major handbrake. That's a major handbrake in your life, okay? Because you're not going to be able to move along smoothly. You know, if you took your blood pressure at that instance, I bet it would be off the charts. Because you're not at rest. Because of why? Doubt and lack of faith in your unbelief. When you start believing and trusting God, you enter into God's rest. And that's when that handbrake gets released. Okay? And if you've been driving when you realized your handbrake was on, you felt a difference when you did release the handbrake. I know everybody's shaking. And you know the difference. You feel the call of the sun. Boom, there's a release and the car just goes smoothly. Well, think about that in your spiritual life. If you've got a knot in the pit of your stomach where you're worried about something and your, your heart is racing and your head is pounding where you don't know how this thing is going to work out, then you've got a major spiritual handbrake on there, okay? And you've got to go through this checklist. Faith, doubt, unbelief, okay? Another one here, which is one that many times we don't link together. Go to Matthew 5. The other one here is, is unforgiveness. Okay? And many times, we as Christians don't link the two together. We don't link why things, Matthew 5, we don't link why, why um, our Christian life, our spiritual life is not moving along smoothly. And we, and we just kind of, we insist on keeping the, the, the foot, our foot on the gas pedal, so to speak. Um, and just think that we can just mash down the gas and just drive through without even addressing this unforgiveness thing. Unforgiveness, we go to Matthew 5 and we're going to jump right to 23. Okay. Uh, go, go, to, go to 22. Matthew five twenty two. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry is angry with his brother without a cause, shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall it be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if you bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother has aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar. And go thy way First be reconciled to thy brother And then come and offer thy gift Okay So we're saying that if you've got an issue with someone This is so important to God that you resolve it He doesn't even want your tithes and offerings Okay Don't even bring your tithes and offerings to him if you've got an issue with your brother, hold off on giving to God and go and get straight with that brother or sister. Okay? And the same thing goes with those people that are in our lives, you know. It's so easy, it's so easy, it's so easy to be, to be getting along and to love someone when they're being nice to you. That's easy to do. Amen? The challenge is when someone is not being nice or has not been nice to you, for you to just forgive them and to move on. It isn't something that human beings seem to do easily. But this is so important to God that He's saying, yeah, I don't even want your gifts. Keep them until you go and get right. Okay? Ready? Okay? And, 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 and many people, people that have passed on, have gone to the grave, and the living person is still harboring this unforgiveness. And all that's doing is it's harping coals on the surviving, on the person that's alive. It's heaping coals on that person's head. All right? So, so you, you've, you've got to forgive them. For those people that you may be at odds with, who have done you wrong, so, so to speak... You can forgive them. It doesn't mean that you gotta go hanging out with them every day of the week. It doesn't mean that at all. Okay? You forgive them for whatever they did to you or whatever things came up in your life, you just forgive them. Doesn't mean that you gotta go hang out, hang out at the bar or any other place with them for that matter. Amen. Just pray for them. But you've got to release them because the only one that is doing harm to is yourself. You see? And that's a handbrake that'll be on, and many Christians don't realize it. Don't realize it. They're wondering why there's bumps in the road. They're wondering why their lives are not going as smoothly as they could. It's because of the fact there's someone that's in their life that they're just harboring unforgiveness against. Amen? Amen? So, so that, that's, that, that's another one. Okay? I almost kind of picture, as I'm standing, if you're speaking, you know, we keep using the analogy of a car, a physical handbrake in a car. Gee, now I'm picturing you sitting in this vehicle that you've got, and your steering wheel is here, and you've got a whole bunch of handbrakes, not just one. Check each one of those handbrakes to make sure that they're off before you start going on this spiritual journey of yours. Because otherwise, this, you're just going to be bogged down and held down. Okay? And getting to close to closing here, you go to Romans. Romans 8. Romans 8. This is another one that sometimes we don't, we don't associate with our... Um, we don't, we don't associate with, with being a hindrance to us Or a handbrake uh, come on. Okay, Romans chapter 8 Verse number 14 for as, many are, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God They are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba Father. Okay? So that spirit of fear is a handbrake many times that we don't even recognize as being something that's holding us back. Okay? It says, therefore, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And If you're a child of God, you should be led by the Spirit. Being led by the Spirit is not, not being led by your own thoughts. It doesn't, mean by, it doesn't mean being led by the thoughts of others, friends, family, job associates, peers at work or what, wherever, at school or wherever you are. It be, means being led by God, you see. And here's, here's the interesting thing about it, it almost seems, it almost seems like, you know, the, 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 the closer you get, as you get along your Christian walk, there are so many people that want to help you. So many people that want to give you advice on doing things. So many people want to say, oh, this is what you should do. This is how you should do it. Oh, you shouldn't do that. You should do it this way. You should do it that way. You know? And you listen to all those voices, you know? And the funny thing about it is that many of them, many of them, very possibly, intentionally, will give you bad advice for a number of reasons. They don't want to see you prosper. They don't want to see you successful. Many times they want you to be just as miserable as they are. Misery loves company, as they say. You know? But I've seen people that, that, that they're not successful in life, and they're happy, and they're not, they're not happy, rather. And here you are happy, and you've got God on your side, and you try to tell them about God. They don't want to hear it, by the way. Yes, so they want to give you all this advice. Amen? So we're led by the Spirit of God. And then verse 15, you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Now that fear here in the scripture covers a whole lot of things. It covers anxiety, stress, worry. And you've got stress and worry in your life and you'll realize that this is a huge handbrake that's holding you back. Because if you've got fear and worry, then chances are you're not going to step out and try something new that God may be telling you to do. You'd be too afraid to do it. You'd you'd have too much anxiety about it. You know, there's fear of man. Okay? We, people actually will fear other people. And I don't necessarily mean fear that someone, you know, I mean uh, someone that, that's, you, you know, six foot five and you're you're five foot tall. And, you know, I'm, I'm afraid of him because he's a big guy and could possibly beat me up. Yeah, that may be a very rational fear. <laughs> okay. All right. But I'm not talking about that. You know, I'm talking about the fear of, of man in terms of you as a child of God standing up to that person and saying, I'm sorry, what you're saying is wrong. Well, I'm sorry but I'm not going to do What you're saying to do Okay Your boss is your boss is your boss The Bible talks quite a bit about Respecting those that are in authority But you don't fear that person Okay You don't fear Or her and If that person has, has Does something or says something That really crosses the line Regarding you and your walk with Christ You should be bold enough To say something about it Amen Amen We don't go through life fearing people Not at all You don't fear any man But there's a host of scriptures on fear on on the fear of man, okay? And the bottom line there, and and many Christians, they kind of push it out of their mind, which could wind up becoming a handbrake for them because they they, they hold off on speaking and saying what God would want them to say to that other human being. But they fear that that person has some power over them, okay? All right? right, right. Ultimately, the only thing that a man can do to you is to take your physical life. But then what does the word of God say? After from the body, present with the Lord. So he's kind of done your favor. Amen. <laughs> Amen. 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 So you don't worry about that. I mean, not that you go looking for someone to do physical harm to, to you, but you don't fear a person thinking about what, could this, what this person might do if I speak my mind and what Holy Spirit is telling me to say. Okay? So that's the other thing that you have in there. And, and if, if you have that kind of fear, then you could be having a significant handbrake in your spiritual life that you don't even realize. Okay? Because you, you, you're not going to do what God, what God is going to tell you to do. Alright? God may have a wonderful a dynamite blessing for you, but that blessing may have you saying something and standing up to that person that you quote-unquote fear. Okay? And if you have that fear for that person, you're not going to say to them what God would want you to say. You see? So that's a handbrake. And yes, so you're wondering why, Jesus, why am I not being more, more successful? Why am I not progressing in life? Because I'm harboring this fear, you see? And this is another one, though, that just kind of goes quietly under the surface. Okay? And why does it? Because not every day in most Christians' lives are you confronted with people that you really have to stand up to and say something forceful about. Okay? And that spirit of fear of man doesn't manifest until something happens in your life. Then all of a sudden you realize, oh Jesus, I don't want to go talk to him. Gee, dare I go say that to her? Oh my gosh. And then all of a sudden, you know, this fear of man, whereas before you may not even realize that it was there. But all of a sudden you start shrinking and cowering because you are afraid of that person to go say what God would have you to say. Okay? And that very thing that you may, that God may want you to say to that person will put that little demon that is driving that individual on the retreat. But that little demon that's driving the human being, because the word of God says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? Okay? It's that flesh and blood we wrestle with, the things in, that come across us in opposition in terms of human beings. That's not what's driving, you know, that human beings being driven by, by, by uh, according to the word of God, could be, be driven by demonic forces that's just in opposition to you succeeding. So if you're harboring this fear of man, then that's another thing that can uh, that could do it. Okay, um, just a couple more scriptures here. Two Corinthians. Two Corinthians ten Praise the Living God, two Corinthians ten Um, and this just started, we'll start at verse one. 2, 10, 1. Now I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being absent am bold toward you. But I beseech you that I may not, uh, that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some, which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Okay, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of God. Okay? So the other hand break here is disobedience could be, you know. You know or the, the, the lack of obedience, disobedience. And what this is saying here is in verse number 3. For we walk in the flesh... Although we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. The things that go on in this life are not necessarily in dealing, you know, you know, with people, with fleshly, with earthly things. For it says there, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through the pulling down of strongholds. So the things, the the, the weapons that we use are are spiritual weapons. They're not earthly weapons and so on like that, okay? They're they're more the spiritual weapons. If you remember when um, David was preparing to go to slay Goliath. Okay, King Saul said, gee, you're such a slightly built young man, you're so small, let me give you this armor. Right? okay, remember that? Okay, and Saul gave David some armor to put on. Now this was carnal weaponry, if you will. This was was the kind of weaponry or, or tools that man would use in fighting a battle. But David put that armor on and he could see that this is not what I can use. And he took it off. And what did David slay Goliath with? Nothing but a sling and a rock. Okay, so that was spiritual weaponry, if you will. Okay, that one single rock. And there's a whole lot, there's a whole sermon in in that account as it is. I mean, the, the one rock, the word of God says, one smooth stone he took from the brook. You know the smooth stone having water washing over it, for God knows how long the 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 stone was nice and smooth, therefore aerodynamic, it could travel through the air much more more, more smoothly and everything and, 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 hit, and hit its target, you know, and, and he had his staff in his hand, and Jesus is the staff of life and so on. I mean, there's a whole sermon in that, but 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 and, and, and David said repeatedly, he said, "My God, this day, my God shall deliver you, my God shall deliver you to me, and so on like that. So he used spiritual weaponry, all right? So the things are of, our, uh, verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God through the pulling down of strongholds. Things that are happening in your life, you don't, look for, you don't look for the ways of the world to overcome them. How do I overcome them? Through emails, through telephone calls, or whatever, whatever. This is a spiritual thing. And casting down imaginations, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Those casting down imaginations. Imaginations is covering your thoughts, and it's, and it's covering conversations thoughts and conversations that will come your way when you're going through a challenging time in life if it is raising itself up against what the word of God says you don't let your thoughts go there you don't let your imaginations go there. You know, when you, you hear people, people discouraging you and so on like that. Again, back to David and Goliath. When David was there in the camp preparing, his brothers came to him and said, What, you're going to go out there against Goliath? You're nothing but a shepherd. You do this and you do that. You do that. His own relatives were dumping on him. Okay? So when you've got a challenging spot that's going on in your life, don't let, don't let this hand break here, here, here of all um, of, 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 of the disobedience, if you will, because you're not obeying what God may be telling you. You're listening to the thoughts and the comments of others that are around you. You've got to get that out of you. You've got to get that out of you, you. know. And again, I know many Christians that you, know, you go down the checklist and they're doing everything right. They're doing everything right. Okay? Everything right. They're, they're tithing. They're doing this. They're doing that. And everything right. But then all of a sudden, You tell them, you let one person walk in and say something to them, then all of a sudden they get all shaken up. And they start, many times, they'll start forgetting what the Word of God says about their situation. They'll start listening to that individual. They'll go back home and they'll start dwelling on and thinking about, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. right. So don't let those thoughts and imaginations and things that people may say to you come into your head and throw you off your game. You remember what the Word of God says, or what that person said. That's not in the Bible. That's not what Scripture says. I'm not going to entertain that thought. I'm not going to believe that nonsense. The word of God says this. The word of God says that. Okay? And and being in obedient being in obedience to Christ. Okay? And, And and so that's another area here. Am I being obedient to Christ in terms of am I Am listening to what He is telling me? Am I listening to what the Holy Spirit is saying? Last scriptures here. for sure, go to Malachi. Malachi here. And we're going to go to Malachi 3. And this one here, and this is one, <clears throat> one here that, uh, it's, it's another handbrake that people either try to ignore and just keep trying to drive on, to keep on pushing through Malachi chapter 3. And we'll start at verse number 7. Okay. Even from the days of your fathers, you are gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, wherein will we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Okay, so underline that please. Wherein have you robbed me? In tithes and offerings. Now now underline this. You are cursed with a curse. For you have robbed me. Even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. That there may be meat in my house. And prove me how herewith saith the Lord of hosts. Prove me now herewith saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven... And pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Okay, please put a bracket or highlight all of number 10. Bring all ye the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat. And prove me, or try me, test me now, says Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven, and pour you out a blessing. There shall not be enough room to receive it. Verse 11, and I will rebuke the devourer, underline rebuke the devourer, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. And he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast their fruit before the time in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Okay, and all the nations shall call you blessed, for you shall be a delightsome land," says the Lord of hosts. Hosts. And we can just pause there. Okay, underline in eleven, verse eleven there too, um, I will rebuke the devourer. So, what this is saying here, um, this is a big handbrake that many Christians don't even think about or realize. Or, or it's a handbrake that is there, and there have been so many around them that have said that this doesn't apply. You know, I don't know why this should even be a controversial um, uh, area among Christians, but it is. I've heard people say we don't have to tithe anymore. It was done away with the Old Testament. I've heard people say tithing is not necessary. I mean, there's a whole host of things. Um, the Bible is the word of Bible, back cover, front cover to back cover. Old Testament is not, has not been written off by God. Okay, so this is saying that if you're not giving to God, if you're not tithing, it says that you're robbing God. It says you're robbing. It says verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. And then they said, well, how do we rob you, God? He said, you're cursed. So if you're not giving to God, then you're going to be cursed. How can you expect your life to go along smoothly? This is a big handbrake. How can you expect your life to move along smoothly if you're robbing God? Okay? But then on the upside about it, he says, Bring all your tithes into the, into the store so that there may be meat in my house. You, you know? And, and there's good... I mean, God does not need your money. God doesn't have a big Walmart in heaven that he needs your money to go to go and buy stuff through. Okay? But the kingdom of God on earth... Does. And then besides that, it's a spiritual thing too. Forget about the physical money that you're giving. It's a spiritual act that you're being in obedience to God. All right? And then it it says to to try him, to try him even. He said, try me now. Herewith says the Lord, and I will not open up the if I will not open up the heavens and pour out a blessing. And then even more importantly than just the blessings, I shouldn't say more importantly, but equally important here is where he says in verse eleven, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. You see, you've got devours in your lives. When things are not going, going right and you can't seem to keep two nickels together, you know, you know you, 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 your resources are being devoured, so to speak. You know, the devourer is the evil one. It's the devil who wants to come into your life and just take everything away from you, you, you know. I mean, not just money. This doesn't only refer to a bank account. It means everything that you have. I mean, it can be your family life, your children, I mean, your career. I mean, the devourer can impact your life in so many ways where where your life just is not going well. You know, everything is just just going wrong. He says, and he shall not destroy, rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Okay, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field. You see, so now he's talking about they were, this was basically an agrarian, a farming society. It was very important to them to have their crops come in on time and to be fruitful and so on like that. So God is saying that, you know, your ground shall, shall give forth good fruit. You shall be fruitful. And in modern day terms, that's talking about our lives being fruitful. Our lives being fruitful is us being successful in what we're setting our hands to do. You know, our children being protected. Okay, okay. The the fruit you can also think of the fruit of your womb. Okay, your your children that are here. You know, so this is so many ways that God will bless you. And He's saying He just simply says to test it, try me. You see, but so many times Christians will, will, will some will not even will not do this period because they say that tithing is not for today. And this is a huge handbrake because God didn't say that um, after Jesus Christ you can stop thinking about tithing and giving. You don't have to do that at all. Okay? So, so, so they, they go along through life, Christians will go through life just ignoring this spot, and the handbrake is just grinding away, grinding away at the machinery of their spiritual life until it starts breaking down. You see? So it's another big spiritual handbrake that we need to check ourselves on. Amen? Amen? So so the bottom line is we went through several um, that are are, uh, spiritual handbrakes in our lives. If you see that your spiritual car, so to speak, is not moving smoothly, then it's time for you to take a break. Take a pause. Seek God and say, Lord, where have I missed it? Do I have a spiritual handbrake that is on? What is holding me back? And then, after he's spoken to you, have some supernatural faith. Have some strong supernatural faith. And also know that God is indeed who He is. If you really believe that He is God, then you have to believe that God is going to fix the situation, whatever that might be. He'll keep your spiritual life running along smoothly. Amen? Amen? Praise God. I pray that this message has been a blessing to you. And now before we close, let us honor God with our tithes and offerings.